What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because without struggle, there's no progress. Hat tip to Frederick Douglass for that one. It is 2022 and this is the audio version of my Q3 slash Q4 progress report and annual review. In this special bonus episode, I'm going to attempt to highlight some of my most important projects and the impact that those had on the bottom line. As uh, is often the case, this was a year of trying to make incremental improvements rather than wholesale changes. And maybe that's a, a fixed mindset thing of me uh, to not say, well, what could I do to 10x this thing? But in any case, stick around to hear about my biggest wins of the year, what I've been working on lately, my favorite purchases in books and more. Ready? Let's do it. All right, my nine biggest business wins of the year. The first is what I'm calling Saturday Resends. And so this was a email marketing tip that I picked up from Pat Flynn early in the year where I developed a process to resend my weekly newsletter, uh, which typically goes out on Thursdays, a couple days later to everybody who didn't open it the first time around. And typically I used to see, you know, maybe 22 to 30% open rates um, on the high end, um, I would love to hit 30% consistently, but doing this simple extra step has bumped the overall open rate to over 40% pretty consistently. I typically uh, change the subject line, change the opening of that message, and am seeing thousands of incremental opens every week. So that's a lot more people being exposed to the content. Hopefully that gets the word of mouth flywheel start to spin uh, a little more positively. So that was a big win for me, Saturday resends. The second thing is this, you might also like section of the email newsletter. Started adding that to the bottom of uh, each newsletter that goes out, typically including three curated links to interesting articles or resources that I found, either mine or other people's. And it just gives me this opportunity to highlight other people's content, events, even promote affiliate offers in there. Plus, it's been a lot of fun over the course of each week to just keep an eye out for interesting stuff to include there. That was a, a win number two. Number three is a stupid, simple marketing win. This has been underlining links on the website. Talked about this uh, a few weeks ago on the show. Either my theme didn't have them underlined by default or I disabled it years ago for aesthetics. Uh, for a long time, links were just a different text color. It was like the green kind of call to action color on the website. So they were a different color, but they weren't underlined. Since underlining them, which was a simple uh, CSS change, I'm seeing an 8% increase in outbound clicks and a 12% increase in affiliate commissions. Very easy marketing win in my case. Number four is Bench. So Bench is a remote bookkeeping service that I signed up for in late 2020. And so 2021, this was my first full year of doing zero bookkeeping. And it's something that I honestly should have let go of a long time ago. The reason I didn't is because I'm the weird person who actually likes keeping track of all the revenue and expenses, but it was definitely distracting and time-consuming. Because every time uh, an email notification would come in, hey, somebody paid you on PayPal, like I would go into my spreadsheet and I could tell you up to the minute, you know, what the profit and loss of the business uh, was for the year, for the month. Like it was just unnecessary, right? And so that's kind of my early on, that was my beef with bench is like, well, you know, it takes some some time after the end of the month to tell you tell you what you made. And so I, I was kind of like, well, I, I want to know, you know, mid month reports, all that stuff. Can't really do that. But I think it's still been a worthwhile trade off, like removing the stuff uh, off my plate. 
Uh, number five on the wins of the year list is group leads. So for the last couple of years, I have noticed a lot of people joining the Side Hustle Nation Facebook group uh, organically from Facebook. They either discover it through Facebook search or as a suggested group based on their interest. And that's awesome. Like if Facebook is going to give you free people top of the funnel, like that's really cool. The uh, downside was I wasn't doing a great job of bringing those new members into the broader Side Hustle Nation ecosystem. Hey, there's a newsletter. Hey, there's a podcast. Hey, there's a blog. And the reason like so this was kind of in contrast to the first couple years of the group where really almost every member was a listener of the podcast or they were a reader of the blog. And so it was a very kind of tight knit community in that way where group leads comes in is and group leads is this uh, Chrome extension that helps you capture emails from uh, new group members when they request to join. So one of the membership questions is something like, hey, would you like my best side hustle tips and weekly newsletter? Enter your email here, right? And so group leads automatically syncs that stuff with active campaign. And since I plugged this in over the summer, it was like this huge noticeable spike on the active campaign, like new subscriber chart. Um, since then, over 4,000 new subscribers to the email list. And overall, the group added, just as a milestone, added 18,000 members this year. So it's you know continuing to get organic growth through Facebook and finished the year at over 47,000 members in total. Pretty crazy from something that just you know, kind of started uh, on a whim. I, <laughs> this is again, uh, fixed mindset, right? I was like, does the world really need another entrepreneurial Facebook group? That was my thought. And I was worried about the time it would take to moderate and all that stuff. And again, really grateful for the awesome team of moderators uh, that are in there, uh, keeping things clean, keeping the spam to a minimum, all that stuff. But in 2015, uh, that was my worry. It was like, uh, does the world really need this? Is it going to be a valuable place? But it's definitely become an interesting place for new people to discover Side Hustle Nation, but also just as a community for people to ask and answer questions and, and support each other along the side hustle journey that we're all on. Uh, win number six is building a process library. So while Bench was a win, while Group Leads was a win, uh, Group Leads in the case, it was a local browser extension. So that meant that my group member approvals had to be done by me and had to be done on my laptop, not on my phone and not by anybody on the awesome moderator team, which meant that reviewing all those requests was taking up a ton of time. So eventually created a process and asked my assistant to help me out with that. So I also in this process library also created a process for spot checking the podcast after it comes back from the editor and then scheduling it to go live on the website, scheduling it to go live um, in Libsyn in the hosting service, and then setting up those Saturday recent as well. There is still lots of room to keep delegating, but I feel like I made some strides in that area this year. So I'm giving myself a little pat on the back uh, for that. Win number seven was pre-selling the traffic course. This is one of the projects that I am most proud of this year, the trafficcourse.com. This is my quick study guide on how to get more traffic uh, to your blog and online business, mainly focused on SEO, but some other search engines aside from Google in there as well. I, to launch it, I pre-sold it to my email list at like half price. I think the subject line was like, should I build this and got over 100 orders for that. It was by far one of the best responses I've ever seen, like trying to do something like that. And I spent the next several weeks 
building it out and dripping the content out to the students. Feedback has been great so far. I really enjoyed our office hours sessions, and I will definitely be following a similar process for future products. I recommend um, you do the same instead of toiling away. This was the old Nick would have spent you know months toiling away, building this thing, and then thinking this is what the audience wants and then trying to uh, and then trying to launch it instead describing what it is, collecting the money up front and then saying, okay, here, and then we can iterate and we can improve and we can raise the price as we go. Now, to be upfront, the challenge here has been in driving uh, evergreen sales. There's no uh, dedicated deadline funnel or scarcity timer or anything like that. So I've got some ideas to try and implement in 2022 to continue driving interest and conversions uh, for that course. Win number eight, we're up to number eight on this list, is uh, what I called Operation Tool Swap. And so I often recommend uh, the substitution game when it comes to your personal finances. How can you find a you know better, faster, cheaper alternative to what you're already spending money on? Uh, trying to play the same game with some business expenses this year. Uh, for example, I swapped out uh, PicMonkey for Canva. PicMonkey, I think I was paying like 50 bucks a year for now the free version of Canva for graphics, you know, Pinterest graphics, YouTube thumbnails, uh, stuff like that. Even, I want to say some, uh, I don't know, some other social media graphics in there. Swapping out GoDaddy for Porkbun for domain renewals. Porkbun sponsored an episode uh, a few weeks back. Uh, that's been a nice win, you know, reduce these recurring expenses. I turned off Squadcast in uh, a return to Zencaster for podcast recording. Squadcast was, you know, maybe 240 bucks a year versus the free version of Zencaster. The issue was, and, you know, I like the Squadcast guys, but I was having this weird issue where there was an echo on my end of the audio, even when the guest was wearing headphones. And I, it was my episode with John Lee Dumas, where every, you know, I had had this weird reverb in my headphones. And he's like, you know, professional podcaster, like, and I'm meanwhile talking to myself in my own headphones. It was, it was kind of a mess, but we... We struggled through it there. I haven't had that issue, thankfully, uh, with Zencaster since then. Swapping out Optin Monster for Beaver Builder for Optin Forms on the site. Optin Monster, really cool software. It gives you lots of A-B testing and analytics and all that stuff. I wasn't using any of those features, and it was slowing down the site a little bit. And so Beaver Builder uh, allows me to do a lot of the same functionality that I was using. Um, and it's just kind of inline HTML or shortcode in my case. Swapping out Google drive or actually swapping out rather uh, Dropbox for Google Drive, you know, save a hundred bucks a year there, plenty of storage, um, you know, in total, maybe 750 bucks, maybe a thousand bucks, depending on how many domains uh, went over for renewal uh, to pork bun. But, you know, playing this substitution game, something that's worthwhile, both on the personal side and business side every now and again to see where you might have opportunity for savings. We talked about the you know death by a thousand paper cuts. So easy to sign up for, you know, this service at $9.99 a month, this service 15 bucks a month. And if they help your business, if they grow your business, that's great. That's totally worthwhile. But every now and again, do a little bit of an audit there. And win number nine was um, podcast lead magnets. This was done in an effort to kind of revive the email list growth, which had been flat for years and years because I kept deleting inactive subscribers. So I started creating episode specific opt-in offers again, which for context, I did this almost every week from mid 2014 to mid 2018. And it helped me grow that email list from around a thousand subscribers, summer of 2014 to over 60,000 subscribers, mid 2018. 
the lead magnets that I created during that time were PDF summaries of the episodes. Like, hey, you're out walking the dog, you're at the gym, you're driving in your car, you're not in a great place to take notes. Don't worry, we did it for you. Just go over to sidehustlenation.com slash whatever. You can download it for free there. Now, lately, I shifted to publishing those summaries, still creating those summaries, but just publishing them on the show notes page directly for the sake of what I think is a better user experience, right? Just if I want to consume content by reading, you know, I want to make that easy for you and hopefully have more people discover uh, that content through SEO as well. Um, So the lead magnets were not that this year. They were instead these complementary resources that I thought would help listeners apply what they learned in that episode. And I think I created 14 or 15 of those uh, throughout the year. So not every week, but a lot of the episodes did have these episode-specific opt-ins. The best-performing one was the list of unconventional rental ideas, which was featured in a few different ones. Started off with Steve Nadramia's hot tub rental business. I think I plugged that one in uh, Rachel Hernandez's mobile home investing business. And so that's one benefit too. I'm able to kind of recycle these and plug these in multiple episodes, which does save some time. I'm also able to include them in my weekly newsletters. So existing subscribers don't have to re-enter their information. I also got those posted on the super secret subscriber only VIP page. In total, these new opt-ins were downloaded more than 4,600 times, which is uh, really encouraging. But it's also interesting to see the types of files that have performed best. Like some of them have, you know, less than 50, less than 100 opt-ins, where some has some have several hundred. And so it's kind of interesting to see like the big list of rental ideas, the big list of business ideas, the list of uh, dropshipping niche ideas, like those types of lists of ideas, for whatever reason, tend to perform well versus kind of like the, you know, worksheets and cheat sheets that I've attempted to create. But uh, I will probably continue to do this in 2022. And I just try and be more intentional about either using resources uh, that I already have or, you know, creating something that will hopefully be more uh, compelling for listeners, because you're you're the people that I want to talk to. You're the people that I want on my email list, much more than a random blog reader. Don't tell the blog readers that, but you're the person that I want to have on the email list, because I think it's a much more powerful relationship. Like if you're listening to the podcast, you're one of my people, you get it, you know, it's a entrepreneurship is uh, a struggle, but it's worth it. Like that's the kind of thing that uh, that's the type of people that I want to talk to. Overall, the year ended up with over 81,000 subscribers, broke 80,000 subscribers for the first time ever on the email list for the sake of growth metrics, started with around 73,000, did a couple rounds of deleting inactive people. Um, But now this resend process is helping keep more people engaged. So I'm not deleting people as many people or as often. Now, overall, uh, business-wise, profit-wise, Side Hustle Nation was essentially flat this year. And a lot of metrics were kind of flat, like traffic was relatively flat. Podcast downloads were down a little bit. You know, profit was down maybe three, four percent compared with 2020. And obviously, I would prefer to move those numbers up. But it's also, uh, you know, I'm cool. I'm cool with current income levels. By all accounts, it's a very under monetized business based solely on the size of the email list, like one benchmark that I've seen is a dollar per email subscriber per month, which not anywhere close to and that's okay, different things to optimize for. 
Hey, entrepreneurs, we know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards. Work trips, client meetings, industry conferences, with Hertz Business Rewards, you'll save at least 20% every time you rent a car. And you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And for those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So what have I been working on the last six months? Um, a few projects. The first, the biggest thing was $1,000, 100 ways, 1K, 100 ways. And how this came to be was in Jugla High. Uh, we sent the kids back to preschool five days a week. We were prepping for this big move. It was the uh, first time since March of 2020 that I'd had a full work week, even just a four day work week. And I felt like I got more done in the first few days than I had in months, like building momentum, building up some positive progress was really powerful. Now, one thing that extra time allowed me to do was finally buckle down and finish and launch the 1K 100 Ways book project. That's at 1K100Ways.com. The project that actually started almost a year earlier started in summer of 2020 when I began collecting stories from the Side Hustle Nation community. The final product, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, includes 100 case studies on how Real people like you and I are making extra money. Each profile answers common questions like, how did you come up with that idea? How did you get your first customers or revenue? What has worked well to market your business? If you had to start over, what would you do differently? And lots more kind of told in parallel. So you can kind of compare apples to apples across the different uh, case studies and pages in there. This book launched at the end of July. I've done a couple you know, smaller price promotions since then. The reviews have been really positive. It's been a fun way to really highlight uh, so many creative entrepreneurs from Side Hustle Nation. And the reason I say like the reviews, you know, the reviews have been positive. You know, you put all this time and effort into creating something and you don't know what kind of reaction it's going to get. Are people going to think this is lame? So thankfully, people have 
been uh, people have been excited about it. And so that's always really cool to see as as a creator. The book, um, in terms of numbers, has earned around sixty seven hundred dollars in royalties. But more importantly, books are you know another asset in the catalog. It's another way for new readers to enter the ecosystem. And the there's so there's a lead magnet in the front of the book, and I think in the back of the book as well, that has generated about 650 new email signups so far. So it's just this other evergreen asset that can, you know, go out into the world and do your do your bidding, right? You know, these little minions. Um, Now to fuel ongoing sales is kind of where I, I struck out a little bit. I tried running AMS ads, Amazon marketing services ads, which I'm running for my other books for years, but the campaigns never quite turned profitable in this case. So I ended up turning those off. But you can check that out 1k100ways.com. The second project was recording the audiobook version of that. So uh, again, I had, had intended to do it during August, but just didn't happen with all the crazy moving stuff I'll tell you about in a little bit. I so finally, in the fall, started chipping away at the audiobook version of this like 300 page book. It was, you know, by far the longest book project that I've ever done. And so I would record in chunks as you know blocks of time and really my voice allowed. Like I couldn't just knock this out in a, in a day because I, you know, my voice would go bad. Now I finally uh, shipped the raw files off to the producer, got them edited. The crazy thing was when I went to upload them to ACX is the you know, Audible, Amazon, Audiobook Creator Exchange, I found that somebody else had already apparently claimed the title as their own. And it took a few days to, you know, convince ACX support to unlock it again. And at one point, they even wanted some proof from copyright.gov that I was the copyright owner. And my understanding was, and I don't know if this is true or not, like once you hit publish, like by default, copyright is by default for books. So I had no idea. It was, it was really weird, but lesson learned. If you are an author, make sure to go in and claim your work, even if you have no immediate plans to make an audiobook version. So in November, the month of the audiobook launch, the book earned around $250 in Audible royalties. Their reporting is so hard to figure out. But in any case, another, uh, another asset in the toolbox, another way for people to discover this stuff you know, again, giving people the option to consume content in the um, in the way they want to consume it. Another one of my big projects for the last six months has been republishing. So this is on the written content side of the business, the blog side of the business. More time, a lot more time was spent updating old content rather than creating brand new blog posts. I know Matt Giovannisi talks about his uh, website as kind of a textbook where it's like, you know, you don't necessarily need to add to the textbook if you've already covered most of this stuff, but you need to make sure the textbook is up to date. And so this is a pretty consistent process going back through the evergreen content to update that to optimize it. So it continues to rank well, again, because I think of each post as this little mini digital asset that can attract traffic, revenue, subscribers, and sometimes those posts individually can be worth quite a bit on average. And of course, you know, this varies based on you know, what landing page it is. But on average, a side hustle nation page you is worth an estimated five cents, I think, in affiliate income. So for every incremental 10,000 page views I can add, I think that would be worth an extra $500 a month. So that's when you start thinking about, okay, if I could uh, improve what I already have versus creating something new and, you know, hope, you know, follow all the best practices, hope it hits the first page of Google. But, you know, if you can do that, 
I think I find more time leverage in updating the old stuff in a lot of cases. And the thing is, uh, you know, it's, it's quote passive income, but nothing lasts forever. Your competitors aren't standing still. And that's why the constant updating and republishing is kind of required these days. Kind of like painting the Golden Gate Bridge. By the time you finish, you got to start over and go back to the beginning and do it again. For the full year, the site earned almost 4 million page views, 3.9 million page views, which again, traffic wise, is about the same as 2020. Now, maybe the biggest shift that I've noticed in SEO this year is a trend away from massive 7,000 word blog posts, 10,000 word blog posts to a more curated approach. You still want enough content to cover the topic thoroughly, but maybe you don't need to write a novel anymore. For example, Google and users, for that matter, they may not want to see, in my case, 250 ways to make extra money. Uh, You know, just give them your best ideas. 10 ways, 25 ways, 50 ways, you know, trying to narrow that down, curate that a little bit, play the role of curator rather than this shotgun approach. I'm going to tell you everything that you could possibly need to know on this topic. Um, The challenge, like I mentioned, has been prioritizing new articles to grow that traffic. Where am I going to find those incremental uh, chunks of 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 page views. Even when I delegate the writing part, and this is totally on me, I still find myself as the editor slash bottleneck in chief of the process before those posts go live. But since those high ranking posts are really valuable, they are income producing assets, it does make sense to invest more in that area in in 2022. And the last project that I want to talk about here um, over the last six months has been YouTube, because we're talking about evergreen mini digital assets. And I think YouTube videos are another awesome place to kind of plant those seeds. And one, to be totally honest, one that I've you know, almost neglected. I haven't done a great job at YouTube over the last you know, eight years of Side Hustle Nation. But despite that, YouTube still brings in around $500 a month in passive ad income, feels passive anyways, and introduces new people to my content. Now on the channel, I've got three main style of videos. The first and the one that I have the most of are just repurposed podcast episodes. Lately, I've been making those with uh, a tool called headliner.app. It makes a little kind of waveform. I try and put text on the screen that says like audio masterclass or something so people know that it's audio. I put the Apple Podcasts and Spotify uh, logos up there so people understand that it's going to be a podcast. And I've, I've played around a little bit with, you know, trying to make those more visually interesting. Like, oh, if we, if we mention a website on air showing, uh, you know, showing the website and like zooming and scrolling and, you know, putting up a different, you know, stock video footage and stuff. And that doesn't really seem to make much of an impact in terms of, you know, what kind of views uh, and retention that those videos attract. So that's a video number, a video, video style number one. Uh, repurposed podcast episodes. Number two is shorter form video interviews where we've done interviews on pressure washing and uh, transcribing audio and donating plasma and stuff that isn't necessarily great for a full length podcast episode, but it's still interesting to me and using those to complement some written content, right? So I'll talk about that in a second. And the third style of video are these like talking head style videos where it's me on camera. I'm using my parrot teleprompter in a lot of cases for these to create videos to support existing blog content. And my theory there is is that embedding the video in the blog post makes it more valuable in the eyes of Google and in the eyes of readers. It gives you double the chances 
of being discovered for relevant keywords. People could search in Google, people could search in YouTube. And if they search in any place, like you want to be able to show up there. So for example, I've got this post on how to monetize a podcast or how podcasts make money. So I created this complimentary video that talks about the different ways that podcasts make money, right? Targeting the same query on YouTube, trying to double dip on those type of searches. Same thing for a post that I've got on how I earn free Amazon gift cards, right? So there's the written form of the post. Again, trying to take a more curated approach instead of like, here's 75 ways you can get free Amazon gift cards. Like, no, here's like 12 legit ways you can you can do this stuff. Here's, here's the ones that I use. Here's some other ideas. And then making a video to support that. Now, based on the current ad rates for my channel, it's going to take 2,000 views, 2,500 views, maybe 3,000 views to break even on the editing costs. And for the sake of disclosure, none of the recent videos that I've made have reached that threshold yet. But it's this one-time cost to create these digital assets that can potentially earn for years down the road. Like I'm confident that eventually they'll get there and beyond. So it's just like, okay, I can make this upfront investment and have this evergreen asset that hopefully can generate not just ad revenue, but also views, exposure to your brand, podcast listeners, email subscribers, affiliate income, like lots of good things can happen as a result of people watching this stuff. Next up is the category of cool business slash lifestyle stuff that happened. I mean, the biggest shift this year was moving from California back home, quote unquote, home to Washington state. There we are now super close to where my wife and I grew up. We're really close to uh, the rest of our family as well. And the big driving factor here was nobody's getting any younger, not us, not the kids, not the grandparents. And having a stronger relationship with family was something that uh, coming out of the pandemic was really important for us. That and our oldest was starting kindergarten. He started in the fall. Um, So we figured, okay, we know it's now or never. Well, not necessarily now or never, but it would be easier to make the move before he started school rather than trying to do it later and, you know, take him away from all his classmates and stuff. Now, it was tough. It was really tough to say goodbye to Livermore, to our adopted hometown and all the friends that we made there. And honestly, they're probably what kept us there as long as we did stay. It's a great place to live, a great place for families. And we had a great deal on our rent. Now, so the real estate market, you know, has been crazy everywhere. And the area to which we moved is no no exception. But we made the shift from renting to buying as part of the transition as well. And this is probably more for emotional and stability reasons rather than purely financial ones, because I'm, I know I'm on the record as recently as September 2020, extolling the virtues of renting. Uh, but to give you a sense of the craziness in the real estate market, this was probably the sixth house that we had put an offer on. And it was the first one that we didn't lose by at least $100,000. Like that's just nuts. We had gotten so accustomed to being outbid that I was in this like weird state of disbelief when the real estate agent called me to say our offer had been accepted. It was like, oh, okay. After months of looking and doing a lot of virtual shopping and going through these uh, mental gymnastics of imagining your family in a new place every week, like, okay, this is actually happening. And, and despite everyone else telling us, like, just hire movers, it's the best money you'll ever spend. 
we were so stubborn. We wanted to do most of it ourselves because we would get these moving quotes back that were you know, $10,000. And we we're like, I don't think our stuff is worth that much. And what we didn't take into consideration there was the time and the this mental energy it would take to literally put eyes and hands on everything you own and make that keep, toss, donate, sell decision. That was really, really draining. And that occupied most of August. Ultimately, we did find a great driver, truck driver on U-Ship, um, which is, like, I think it's like Uber for shipping. It's like a peer-to-peer like shipping marketplace in a way. Um, because it turned out that one-way U-Haul rentals were hard to come by with apparently everyone leaving California. We did the trendy pandemic thing and left California. And it turns out I'm really glad that I didn't have to uh, drive that truck um, all night. <laughs> and it, here's here's what's interesting. In some non-insignificant way, California actually subsidized the move. Yes, we're paying more every month here in terms of uh, mortgage and property taxes than what we were paying in rent before. But the cost difference is actually less than what we were paying every month in California income taxes. Now, still getting used to the colder, wetter weather, but definitely happy not to be making those estimated tax payments to the state anymore. And I owe a huge thank you to all our family members who would go and dutifully check out these houses for us in person. So we would do these virtual like Redfin uh, visits, like where the, you know, the agent would hold up their phone and do a FaceTime call and, you know, they show you around the house and then you, then we'd have to have the family go by and check it out. Like, well, what do you think? Like, what did it, what did it feel like, you know, just trying to put, put someone you trust in the place because that's what ended up happening. We had to buy this house because of the market that we'd ever, never actually stepped in and very fortunate knock on wood. Like we still like it showed up and we we're happy with that. But, um, that was, uh, definitely something that took a ton of time and energy this year, uh, or last year, 2021, just the shopping process, the mental hurdles, the moving process, just everything. There's a lot that goes into that. Um, and hope, hopefully we don't have to do that again anytime soon. Uh, other business lifestyle thing that happened was uh, a trip to FinCon. This took place in September in Austin, Texas, because as even as an introvert, I found that I really missed hanging out with internet friends in real life, like people who get you, who understand what you're working on, who, you know, don't just glaze over when you talk about podcasting and SEO. And so this was the first time seeing really any online business friends since February 2020, February 2020. Um, some friends from FinCon rented a place up at Tahoe and, and was really cool to hang out at this mansion of a house up there and, and go skiing and, and spend some time and talk shop. But, you know, it's been a year and a half and I found that uh, I really missed that. So the event itself was really not, not surprisingly, but not particularly well attended. Maybe it was like a third of the size of the 2019 conference that was in uh, Washington, D.C., but still really good to catch up with colleagues and advertisers there. One thing that uh, was weird for me about this event compared to years past was, you know, I would normally come home. So I'd go to the event and get my like years worth of homework, get all pumped up to come back home and execute. And this time I left with a weird lack of motivation. Like I'm good. And I think overall that's probably positive. That's obviously a very privileged place to be, but I wonder if the house purchase had anything to do with it. I don't know. It's just kind of a weird feeling there. Now, since then, I had to do, well, that's 
that's not normal. That's not usually, that's not how things usually go. So I had to do some thinking on what kind of work really lights me up. And I came back with creating content, especially uh, scooping new and creative and interesting business ideas and experimenting with different optimization tweaks, like trying to get 1% better, trying to get 5% better. It's that combination of creation and analysis that I think is really a sweet spot for me. And that's where I'm going to try and spend more of my time on the theme of uh, delegation, you know, talking about eliminate, automate, delegate, what, what moves the needle and what lights you up. And I found that combination of this creation plus analysis, like that's kind of what I, uh, I really like doing. But I had semi-serious thoughts about retiring for the first time ever, which of course opens up the inevitable question, well, then what? What do you do instead? And the answer was, well, probably a lot of the stuff that I'm already doing. So I might as well keep keep doing, keep working on what's worked. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash sidehustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S.com slash sidehustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. These are the top 10 most popular side hustle show episodes of the year. If you missed any of these, make sure to add them to your podcast app. Number one was episode 449, Etsy printables, 10 grand a month selling digital products on Etsy. This was with Rachel Jones, who walked through her kind of product research process. It was kind of a little bit of a volume game, right? You got to have a portfolio to determine the 80-20 of what is going to sell. But really inspiring and eye-opening episode here where you got no physical inventory in most cases. And uh, it's off to the races in uh, Etsy search and probably Etsy ads to try and drive traffic and boost up those listings. 
but really a cool idea and one that uh, is definitely on my list to try and uh, play around with uh, a little bit as well. Number two was at the very beginning of the year, my $550,000 side hustle, an online business from idea to exit. This was episode 426, where Pete McPherson from doyouevenblog.com interviewed me about my building and sale of the virtual assistant assistant website, which I definitely missed on the on the bottom line. Like I missed that like five grand a month, relatively predictably on on the bottom line uh, this year. But it was um, something I didn't miss working on. And so that was one of the telltale signs that it was time to exit that business where, you know, I didn't didn't look forward to working on it in the same way that I look forward to working on Side Hustle Nation. But that was uh, the second most popular episode was the story of that exit. And the buyer of the site is actually on the end of that episode talking about, you know, her what it looked like from her side of the transaction. Number three was Tammy Smith in episode 432, how a new blogger went from zero to 20 grand a month in a little over a year. Tammy is utilizing what I would call the modern comparison shopping site where she's writing, you know, affiliate content, but, you know, pitting this product versus this product and really kind of targeting buyers or potential customers kind of like toward the end of their decision-making process, right? If they're, they're thinking about, you know, helping them make a decision, right? If they're thinking about this product versus this product, they've already done a lot of their research and they kind of just want to know what is going to be best for me. So she really leaned into that type of content in the fitness space and has done really well with her site. It's episode 432. Number four, really inspiring episode with Dickie Bush, episode 457, building a six-figure side hustle on Twitter. At that point, he'd gone from zero to 50,000 followers in uh, under a year, I think he's over a hundred thousand now. What was really interesting was a thread of his uh, just recently that was like, "Yeah, I had all this awesome growth, but it really came down to like nine viral threads." You know, and here he kind of recapped what those threads were, why they worked. It was really interesting to see how you might be able to build an audience on Twitter. And then we talked about his cohort-based course, Ship Thirty for Thirty: Learn Writing for the Internet, but we're going to do it as a group and. We're going to hold everybody accountable versus a you know, totally pre-recorded um, online course model. So definitely somebody worth a follow, definitely worth a listen. Again, episode 457, number five on the top 10 most downloaded episode list for the year was 448, Rank and Rent, $1,000 a month from simple local websites. This is Luke Vanderveer breaking down how he can get uh, local service websites to the uh, top of Google in uh, Google My Business and like kind of the organic listings, and then finds qualified local service providers to kind of funnel leads to, and they end up renting those sites back uh, from him in exchange for those leads, essentially. You know, it was really eye opening episode. He's done really well with that. And I know a lot of people have tried to emulate that as well. And I think that would be an interesting one to go and check out. Uh, number six is 430 Built to Sell, Design a Business to Run Without You. This is Tyler Gillespie on Building an Agency Business. Number seven is Children's Publishing with Matt Ralph, How to Make Money from Kids Books on Amazon. Matt had a cool process to share there. Number eight was How to Make Time for Your Side Hustle. This was a solo show bringing in clips from past guests, 10 Steps to Positive Progress. Number nine is episode 441. This was a really eye-opening episode with Brad Rice on how to become 
a Salesforce consultant. Brad described making over 200 grand a year, working 18 hours a week. He said, look, that's probably not realistic starting out, but a typical path would be get this job, 50, 60 grand a year, you know, you level up to 70, you know, maybe by year three, you start playing this freelance game, this, learn this new skill set. And we called it the software with a service model, like kind of piggybacking on the popularity of a popular software product. In this case, Salesforce, really interesting episode 441. And number 459 is the number 10 on this list. And that was online arbitrage, how to make money with Amazon FBA from home with Mr. Chris Grant. In all of those episodes, pretty awesome stories in there. But I'll turn it around and ask you, any favorite episodes from this year? Any favorite moments? You can let me know in the comments for the show notes or hit me up on the social medias at Loper on Instagram or Twitter. All right, my top five purchases of the year. I always love reading lists like this. You know, what were the best things that you spent under $100? Stuff like that. My brother wrote a post on ways to spend money that are actually going to make you happier, you know, based on science. And among those were spending money on experiences because, you know, you get to look forward to doing the thing and you get to do the thing, spending money on others, buying your time back, again, back to that delegation theme, and then spending money to remove ongoing annoyances. I will definitely vouch for those. They seem pretty accurate and do align with some of my best purchases of the year. I've already mentioned some of the purchases on the on the business side, on the operation tool swap side, on the uh, delegation side, but uh, on the personal side, number one for me is super boring, but a new kitchen sink. So this new house, it came with a tiny, shallow two basin sink, like you couldn't fit anything in it. And so with some help from dad, we replaced it with a much deeper single basin variety changes the whole feel of the kitchen makes it so much less annoying to do dishes, which is typically my job. The the sink part was the easy part. The hard part was the plumbing connector challenge underneath. But you know, we got it. We got it figured out. Number two was a pair of Vessi sneakers. These are waterproof sneakers. So like my typical, you know, mesh top running shoes were great in California, not a problem. Up here where it rains all the time, like my feet were immediately soaked. So these Vessis solved that problem, super comfortable as well. Number three was a new to me phone. I didn't realize how annoying my iPhone 6 was until I replaced it. I'm glad I used iPhone X S something. I don't know what model it was. Um, still a few model years old, but it Swappa used. And really the best feature is the upgraded camera. I love the portrait mode. It take, takes much better pictures of, of the kids. So that's kind of what I'm uh, mainly using it for. Uh, number four were these amber reading lights. I mentioned these in my uh, episode with Riley Jarvis on kind of how to hack and optimize your sleep a little bit. So I like to get some reading time in before bed. And this type of light is supposedly better for your eyes than you know, a regular lamp or white or LED light. And number five is season passes for skiing. Seasons pass really to anything. It's like pre-committing to what's valuable to you. And in this case, time in the mountains with family. Like my dad put in the time with Chris and I on the bunny slopes when we were kids in exchange for having ski buddies for life. And I can really uh, only hope to achieve the same thing with our little ones. But what about you? Any favorite purchases from the year? All right, my top five favorite books of the year. Number one is 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. This is a different kind of productivity book. I didn't read anything about it before downloading it. And it focused more on the mindset side rather than the you know traditional tools and tactics side of productivity. But I took 
a ton of notes. I'm just going to read some quotes from the book because I, I highlighted a bunch and these all kind of stood out. First one is, you begin to grasp that when there's too much to do, and there always will be, the only route to psychological freedom is to let go of the limit-denying fantasy of getting it all done and instead focusing on doing a few things that count. The next quote was, the modern world provides an inexhaustible supply of things that seem worth doing, and so there arises an inevitable and unbridgeable gap between what you'd ideally like to do and what you actually can do. The next one is, once you truly understand that you're guaranteed to miss out on almost every experience the world has to offer, the fact that there are so many you still haven't experienced stops feeling like a problem. Instead, you get to focus on fully enjoying the tiny slice of experiences you actually do have time for, and the freer you are to choose in each moment what counts most. The core challenge of managing our limited time isn't about how to get everything done, that's never going to happen, but how to decide most wisely what not to do and how to feel at peace about not doing it. 4,000 Weeks was definitely helpful for me in starting to understand why we feel the need to do all the things and how to maybe start to combat that feeling. It was like permission to let go and focus in a lot of ways. And again, not so much on the tools and tactics side, but a lot on the time management mindset side. I don't know. I thought it was really cool. Uh, second book, I talked about this uh, before, was Undaunted Courage. This is, for history nerds, a real page turner. This is a day-by-day account of the Lewis and Clark adventure, like the ultimate backpacking trip instead of the kind of backpacking that I did as a kid. You know, we'll cover 50, 60 miles over the course of, you know, a week. This covered close to 4,000 miles round trip over two years. Like, let's go into the wilderness, see what is out there. The maps that we have uh, are kind of sketchy. And when they run out, you know, it's on you to draw the map. And really the lasting takeaway for me was this new and deeper appreciation for the simple luxuries and conveniences that we enjoy today. Like we're able to go to the grocery store instead of hoping that the hunter in our party comes across an elk. Like being able to instantly communicate with anyone on the planet, no matter where they are, instead of, oh, I'm going to send a letter and, you know, maybe months later I might get a response. But if nothing else, undaunted courage, it'll give you some perspective on what counts as a problem in your day-to-day life. Number three was Work Optional by Tanya Hester. She's been a great advocate for thoughtful spending, for early financial independence. I kind of lost my highlights from this one, but I remember some uh, thought-provoking exercises and a more detailed explanation of how to actually draw down your early retirement portfolio, how that actually might work in practice. There's a lot of focus on, you know, the 4% rule and amassing this big nest egg, but Tanya does a good job of explaining, well, how do I access my quote-unquote retirement funds early? And she's offering a path where your, um, you know, post-tax accounts kind of pay for your lifestyle until retirement age. And you kind of see the, where the charts might line up on this, you know, based on projected returns and projected spending. But one eye-popping stat from Work Optional is that every dollar uh, that you can avoid spending every month is $300 that you don't have to save for in retirement. Or put another way, like if you inflate your lifestyle by a dollar this month and you sign up for some recurring expense, that's another $300 that you got to save for in retirement. So that lifestyle inflation is really, uh, can be really expensive Another reason to play that uh, Operation Tool Swap or Substitution Game uh, in your life. Book number four is Facing the Mountain. 
This was um, for me after binging on Dan Carlin's Supernova in the East. This is his uh, hardcore history telling of World War II in the Pacific. Uh, Facing the Mountain by Daniel James Brown caught my eye. This is the true story of Japanese-American soldiers in World War II who faced both um, internment, outright internment, and just nasty, intense racism at home and just horrifying battle conditions on the front lines. Uh, definitely an eye-opening read for uh, for me. Uh, and number five, this you know maybe a little biased on this one, but my brother wrote a book. It's called Wood Floats. It's a hilarious collection of short stories, often with some important life lesson worked in, and often not. Lots of teenage antics, lots of outdoor adventures, and even some pyrotechnics in that one. It was it was a page turner for me, but I don't know if that's just because you know I knew some of the stories or I'm related to this guy. But he's a really good writer, far better than me. So Wood Floats was a ton of fun. Uh, an honorable mention on the book front was Andrew Warner's Stop Asking Questions. This is pretty much only applicable to fellow interview podcast hosts, but if that's what you do, recommend picking that one up. But what was on your reading list? Anything I should check out for this year? Let me know. And the question where I wrap up almost every podcast interview is, well, what's next? What are you excited about these days? So what is on my project list this year? Uh, number one is expanding the email welcome sequence. So as it is today, new email subscribers get a few onboarding messages, like intro to side hustle nation type of stuff before graduating to the general newsletter list. And once they're on there, they get notified of new content each week. But what about the archive content? There's a ton of gold in there from the last eight plus years, almost nine years. I would like to put together an extended weekly welcome sequence, introducing subscribers to some of the greatest hits. I think there's an opportunity to drive more uh, word of mouth sharing that way and potentially some affiliate and product sales as well. Just somebody, just because somebody comes into your ecosystem today doesn't know that they have automatically been you know, following all your stuff. It's like, okay, there's gold back there and I think I could do a much better job of introducing people to that. The second project that I have in mind is what I'm kicking around calling like the get more clients playbook, obviously name TBD patent pending, but a product to help people get more clients. One of the most common challenges people share with me is like, I'm trying to grow my business, trying to get more customers. My thought would be to pull together all of the great marketing tactics from side hustle show guests and elsewhere into kind of a choose your own adventure playbook of sorts where you can pick and choose what makes the most sense for your model for your strategy. So probably in this case, we'll follow the same pre-sale process as I did with the traffic course to gauge interest. See if this is anything that people want based on what I'm describing. And the third thing, at least for right now, is uh, continuing to expand YouTube content. I want to keep growing my library of YouTube videos, following those same three types of videos that I mentioned, repurposed podcast episodes, shorter form interviews, and then talking head style videos to complement new or existing blog posts. But what about you? How did 2021 shape up for you? Anything you're excited about going into the next year? Let me know again at Ann Loper on Twitter or Instagram or the comments in the show notes for this episode. You can see the full progress report and all the traffic stats, all that stuff over there. But that is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.